This episode of the Ageless and Awesome podcast is sponsored by the Radiant Reset Hormone Detox Guide for Perimenopausal Women. As a woman in the modern world, our hormones are taking a battering. They're impacted by the food we eat, the toxins we're exposed to, such as when we eat out of plastic takeaway containers, or even worse, reheat food in them. Please don't do this. If you're handling FPOS receipts, filling the car with fuel, eating non-organic produce that hasn't been washed effectively, plus so much more things add to our toxic load every day. Even though our bodies are designed to effectively manage toxins, they haven't evolved as quickly as our toxic world has, unfortunately. So our body does need support. Symptoms such as stubborn weight gain, fatigue, disrupted periods, irritability, and gut health issues can be a sign that you'd benefit from a gentle detox. And that's why I developed the Radiant Reset Hormone Detox Guide for Perimenopausal Women. This free guide has an abundance of information to get you started on your very own DIY detox. And if you'd like to upgrade to VIP, it's only $47 for a limited time. I used to sell this program for $247. The upgrade gives you the recipes, including plenty of uh, plant-based options, the meal planner, the shopping list template, the video workshop, and so much more. Click the link in the show notes to learn more now. Take care of your hormones. They are a critical part of your health as a woman. Hi, I'm Susie Garden, and this is the Ageless and Awesome podcast. I'm an age-defying naturopath and clinical nutritionist, and I'm here to bust myths around women's health and aging so that you can be ageless and awesome in your 40s, 50s, and beyond. The Ageless and Awesome podcast is dedicated to helping women through perimenopause and menopause with great health, a positive mindset, and outrageous confidence. Hit subscribe or follow now, and let's get started. Hello, gorgeous one, and welcome to Q&A Thursday. This week, I wanted to answer a question from Becky from Texas, who is a gorgeous lady that I spent some time this week on a Zoom call with. Uh, She's a gorgeous listener who uh, was making some inquiries with me. And one of the questions that she asked me was about melatonin. And I thought, gosh, I don't think I've actually addressed this on the podcast before. So I thought it was a perfect Q&A question. So thanks so much, Becky. So her question was, can she take melatonin long term? And the research on this is relatively limited. About two years is where the research is up to. And of course, in terms of dose, you would take the lowest possible dose. I'm a little bit careful because in Australia, my understanding is that melatonin is a prescription item. Of course, in the United States, where uh, Becky is located, it's considered a food product. So there isn't a lot of regulation there. Um, So yeah, just bear that in mind. You would need to have a discussion with uh, your um, I assume GP to uh, get a some advice on this, but 
just uh, from the research I was able to do, it's safe to take for up to two years. But what I wanted to really address was the sleep disturbance in the first place, because this is such a massive issue in perimenopausal and postmenopausal women. It's certainly something that I have had a great deal of experience with for many, many years. For me, I think it kind of started when I used to travel virtually every week for work, usually multiple times a week, and that entailed very long flights. And so getting up very early in the morning, so not very long flights, very early flights. And so I find, and I still find that today, if I've got to get up early for a specific um, commitment, I find it very hard to sleep. I think my nervous system is just like, oh, make sure you wake up, make sure you make, make sure you wake up. But so there is that, but there is also the hormonal shifts that go on with regard to being in perimenopause or menopause. And so when you layer on what I also experienced with that stress of, am I going to wake up in time? There's a stress level and then there is the hormonal component. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about those. So, and this is the thing, if you wake up because of the hormonal kind of issue and then you get a little bit stressed about, am I going to be able to get back to sleep, which I know is a really common thing for myself, it makes it even more difficult for you to get back to sleep because we have these opposing nervous systems, the stress response and the relaxation response. The stress response is our fight and flight. Our relaxation response is our rest and digest. And they can't both be high at the same time. So if you are stressed about not being able to go back to sleep, you will not be able to go back to sleep. So stress management can be a really cool, um, little uh, trick to use to help get you back to sleep. And I use this a lot, particularly breath work. I find breath work and also body scans. So they are both elements of meditation. They're also actually both uh, elements of uh, hypnotherapy as well, which I've dabbled a little bit in for myself personally. Uh, And there's two techniques that I use. One is the uh, body scan. So starting from my toes, which is a bit different to what you normally do in meditation. In meditation, you tend to start at the nose. When you're trying to settle the body for sleep, often starting with the toes can be a little more effective. So when you're doing a body scan, starting from the toes, you are literally bringing your awareness down into the toes. Try not to do it as a visualization. Try to do it as a sensory experience. So you are feeling into the sensations in the toes. You are feeling into feeling those those toes touching each other, feeling the bedclothes on the toes, and then just work your way down the foot, the heel, the ankle, all the way up the leg, etc. working your way up the body. And hopefully you may fall asleep while you're doing that. That's obviously a great outcome. The second um, technique with the breath work that I like to use is a timed breath work, which is breathing in for a count of four, holding for a count of seven and exhaling for a count of eight. 
And I find that incredibly relaxing. That long exhale really allows my body to sink into the mattress. I'm, I've, the first few times I did this, I couldn't believe how much it really made my body physically relax. So that is something that I really highly recommend as well. So the body scanning, starting from the toes and making it a sensory uh, scan, not a visualization scan. Breath work, the four, seven, eight technique. When you've done your exhale, there's no particular count before you inhale again. You can inhale again straight away. It's whatever feels good in your body. So there's those two aspects. Also, there can just be just letting go of tension in the body. So sometimes I find for myself, I'm unconsciously holding tension, particularly in my neck. And I find if I can just say to myself, am I completely relaxed? Can I relax just like 10, 15% more? Then I can feel this heaviness in my body and I'll sink a little deeper into relaxation. So there's three things that can work really well while you are actually experiencing insomnia during the night. The thing is though, to really address insomnia, you need to look at what the underlying cause is. So those particular techniques I just shared will really be more focusing on a stress situation or a stress um, response and trying to shift your nervous system over into the relaxation response. But if you're having these hormonal shifts, and it's generally the drop in progesterone, that's going to be the problem when it comes to sleep. And really the the thing with that drop in progesterone is it does have this impact on your what we call HPA axis and the HPA axis is your stress response uh, axis and also your, rela- your relaxation response axis. So you are kind of at the same time addressing stress, you're addressing that low progesterone's impact on your HPA axis. It stands for hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, if you're interested in that. You can all go and Google that if you want to. And so there are some things you can do to help support sleep from that point of view. One of the key nutrients that we like to use as naturopaths and nutritionists is something called glycine. Glycine is an amino acid, so you get it from protein, and it's actually quite sweet. When you take it as a supplement, it's actually really, really sweet. So it's really easy to have it as a supplement. You can also, what I find really good is a mix of a magnesium glycinate with glycine. So when you've probably heard me talk before about the fact that Supplements come in different forms. So for example, magnesium is a classic. If you get the magnesium oxide version, that is more like a laxative version. If you get um, the magnesium, there's amino acid chelate, there is um, magnesium citrate. There's a few ones like that. They're really nice to absorb. They can have a bit of that laxative effect, but they will also relax your muscles. They can also give you energy. They can also do many, many other things in the body that are really useful that magnesium oxide does not tend to do. So those ones are really nice, but if you're wanting specifically magnesium for sleep, I highly recommend the magnesium glycinate. And there are some really lovely formulations out there that are the magnesium glycinate with glycine 
on top of it. And also maybe a couple of herbs like a passion flower. Passion flower tends to prevent that rumination happening, that worrying about the future, worrying about what happened the day before, the past. Also things like lemon balm that's also known as Melissa. That can be really lovely for just relaxing the mind. Um, And taurine is another amino acid which is very good for relaxing the nervous system. So there are a few uh, practitioner-only supplements that have those ingredients, which are really, really lovely for sleep. And so, yeah, having something like that can be very helpful from a supplemental point of view. But there's some, also some other things you can do, like having a good sleep routine. And that can be maybe having a hot shower, maybe using lavender oil in the shower or having a bath, alternatively, if you have a bathtub. Uh, also avoiding caffeine at least six hours before you go to bed, at least. And if you do suffer from regular insomnia, I would either remove caffeine altogether or just have one a day and have it before midday. Alcohol is another thing, unfortunately. Uh, alcohol can help you get to sleep more easily, but it will definitely increase your waking throughout the evening or throughout the night. So if you can really restrict your alcohol as much as possible, I know particularly in Australia, it can be really hard because we do like to have a wine or whatever at night. But I do recommend that if you're having trouble sleeping, that you cut the alcohol down as much as possible. Also having low light. This will be my final tip, I think. Having low light because melatonin is a a hormone that is triggered by low light. Because remember, you know, when we were cave people, we didn't have access to light on demand in the same way we do now. And so when the sun went down and light got low, our melatonin started being secreted and that would prepare us for bed. So if you... Uh, Under bright light, a lot at night, looking at a lot of screen, for example, not using blue light blockers um, in your glasses, or you can even buy just blue blue blocker glasses if you don't actually wear specs. Um, That can be very helpful. But I know for myself, cutting the lights after dinner, after cooking, everything for me at home is candlelight or floor lamps or table lamps so there's none of that bright white light and everything is a warm light that is very um, low light so that I'm not interfering with my melatonin production plus my glasses do have blue blockers in them because I do spend a lot of time on the computer so I've just given you a whole heap of ideas One of the things I remember getting told many years ago was if you are having trouble sleeping, if it takes you more than, say, 20 minutes to get to sleep, particularly in the middle of the night, get up, get up, read, particularly a book that's not on a screen. That really helps. And I do find that very helpful because it just kind of cuts the if you're getting into some thoughts or it just distracts the mind, get out of bed, maybe 20, 30 minutes, have a read. Because let's face it, if you're having insomnia, you're going to just be lying in bed getting frustrated for that 20 to 30 minutes. So you might as well get up and read a book um, under low light, of course, and then try going back to bed again and going to sleep. And that can be very, very effective. 
So I've kind of given a whole bunch of tips. This is a very much a free form podcast. I haven't done a lot of planning. I usually do plan, but I just, I'm just going to get up and talk because I have so much experience with insomnia on a personal level and also with clients. And I do find that, um, have finding yourself the things that work for you is the best option. So I've given a whole list of things that can work well to help in the lead up to going to bed, as well as if you're waking up in the middle of the night. And if you're doing this and finding none of this is working for you, maybe you do need to go and talk to your GP about getting a sleep study done. Maybe there's some sleep apnea there that may need to be addressed. Also, I find when I work with women in my program, The Glow Protocol, sleep is one of the first things that gets repaired. It's incredible. Within a couple of weeks, in fact, I was just speaking to one of my clients today and she's been on the program for nine days and her sleep has improved both her initiation. So when she gets to bed, she's now going to sleep a lot more quickly and her ability, she's staying asleep all through the night which was not the case prior to starting on her protocol. So definitely food makes a huge difference in the types of foods you're eating. They've got to be the right foods for you. I can't tell you what the right foods are without doing the bloods. So that is where I'm going to finish, I think. There is a lot more I could say on this topic. So if you want me to do a full podcast on sleep, please message me either through the Spotify app if you're using that, or you can message me on Instagram at Susie Garden Wellness. I would love to hear from you. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Ageless and Awesome podcast. If you liked today's episode, please make sure you click the little plus button if you're on Apple Podcasts or the follow button if you're on Spotify so that you can get each new episode delivered to you every single week. If you like free stuff and who doesn't, then head over to suzygarden.com and grab my eight essential age-defying secrets every woman over 40 should know right now. Or if you'd like to continue the discussion, head over to Instagram and DM me at Wellness. I'd love to connect with you.